0: Welcome to Love and Loss, a podcast where we talk about the difficulties surrounding pregnancy and infant loss. It's important to know that although we may sometimes host psychologists and other mental health professionals, the show is not a substitute for therapy and or psychological treatment. We encourage all individuals and families experiencing loss to only listen as you are able. The content of the show can occasionally become triggering to those who have lost a child during pregnancy or infancy. If the substance becomes too difficult, we encourage you to turn it off. Heather Frick is an associate marriage and family therapist in California and a doctoral candidate at Alliant International University pursuing a Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy. She is passionate about increasing awareness about miscarriage and pregnancy loss and is currently doing research for her doctoral dissertation on how spiritual coping and social support influence the dad's experience of grief after miscarriage. She has been married to her husband, Brian, for almost 13 years and enjoys hiking with him and spending time with her daughters and grandkids. Welcome back to another
1: episode of the Love and Loss podcast. Today, we have Heather Frick. Welcome, Heather. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad you're here. And um, Heather brings us some really, really important stuff to talk about. So she is an academic and she is studying loss in fathers. And I cannot fully in one sentence (laughs) explain your research. So tell us what you're studying.
2: Sure. So I am looking at specifically the male partner's experience of loss after miscarriage. So specifically looking at um, the male partner's grief experience, there are some influencing factors like how spirituality or religion may impact grief and how social support. So friends, family, other people in their community might influence grief as well. Yeah.
1: So I read that you were doing this research and my heart just like skipped a beat because I I know how important it is firsthand. Right. Because I am a lost parent. Um, And then also like I worked as a chaplain, you know, in the NICU and, and labor and delivery. Like I saw specifically the spiritual and social supports that people were lacking frequently. Um, And it starts with research, right? Like until Mm -hmm. we until we start asking like, what do you need? We're just kind of grasping at nothing.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. Research really is really important because on one hand, it, it lets people share their story, yeah. um, lets people's voices be included, but also it lets the medical community and the wider community know that, hey, there's an issue here and we need to address it. Um, that's why I like research. It's that it's, it's very important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're spot on with the medical community too. I mean, and anyone who's experienced a pregnancy loss, um, or, or that hasn't maybe <laughs> early pregnancy losses are a lot of times are in the emergency room. Right. And so these parents are going in having this immense amount of grief and our medical professionals have very little training in how to help them emotionally, physically. They're great. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, emotionally, um, I can't tell you how many stories I read about women who go, went to the, the emergency department, like you mentioned, and ended up miscarrying there and just kind of having some compounded trauma because of their experience in the emergency room and the lack of emotional sensitivity or awareness from helping or medical professionals there in the in the ER.
1: Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking of myself. I I served at Duke and that's a major, major hospital. Um, and so I know now, (laughs) now that I'm doing this podcast and I'm like, so involved in the lost community, I know, like, I'm sure every day they had somebody come in and lose a baby through miscarriage in the emergency room, at least once a day, you know, I, I mean, it's that much. And yet I was never called as a chaplain to be spiritual support for these families. Like they never called because they didn't know. Right. Like, and again, that's why we need the research. Um, I mean, we did have just incredible social workers down there, but I don't know that they were even paged. I don't know.
2: Yeah. It's sad. It's sad. There's such a huge need for more support in the ER, in the hospitals, from the medical community, greater awareness about what it's like for parents going through this.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And something that makes me really, really happy about your research is so much research is done for the mothers, um, and dads, they, they grieve differently. And so sometimes, unfortunately, frequently we overlook it, right. We overlook how they're grieving. And so kind of walk us through, like what made you want to research this in the first place?
2: Yeah. So, um, this has probably been an interest of mine for a long time. My, it probably started when I was really young. My parents ended up having um, seven or eight miscarriages, oh, and I'm on. I'm the oldest child of a large family at twelve. There's twelve kids in our family.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um so I was there. I was present for all of these miscarriages. And I remember being a ten year old girl remember like watching my parents go through this and how devastating it was, how difficult it was, and then each one was, just more increasingly difficult.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's kind of my inspiration for my interest in this work. Um, and then also, I had a couple of really early miscarriages, what I would consider miscarriages. I can't say 100%, but I, in my mind, it was a miscarriage. Um, they were very early, probably six weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, All of those experiences together really inspired me to do some work in this area because there's so much, um, I think there's so much need for greater awareness, for um, especially greater attention to the male partner's experience. I think, you know, so much of the couple's grieving experience um, could change if the male partner was supported better, um, allowed to grieve if we recognize that he was also grieving. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my inspiration for Mm -hmm. why I'm interested in this work.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think I'm I'm thinking back to my own experience. Uh, that's the one I know the best, right. (laughs) Um, and I, I vividly remember hearing when the, um, sonogram was on me, there is no heartbeat. And of course your whole heart just shatters. And when the technician walked out, I started to cry and my husband held my hand even tighter and he said, Oh no, is it going to hurt? Is it going to hurt? And I said, yes. Um, I knew it was going to hurt. And I didn't know at the time I was talking about emotionally too. Yeah. I mean, I feel so naive saying that out loud, but I didn't know how badly I was going to hurt. I didn't know I was going to have postpartum depression and all these other things. So all that to say, he knew I was going to hurt and his focus went uh, immediately to me. He like neglected all of the grief he was feeling as a father. Um, And and part of that is just our society and the way we treat men. Um, And the other thing is, It's just overlooked in this area because I was the patient, right? And he's the support person, but he's also a parent.
2: Yeah. 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 It's, it's very natural for men to be concerned about their partner Mm -hmm. in that moment. Um, You're the one going through it. And as the support person, it's very natural, really important that he's there Mm -hmm. to support you. And at the same time they end up kind of shoving down some of their own feelings. I feel like it's not okay to talk about what they might be going through.
1: Yeah, yeah. So tell me, um, you've been you've been working on this a while. Like we shared uh-huh. your information um, because I just think it's so important. And I know a lot of or- other organizations have shared that you've been working to collect um, data. So, so what are you learning?
2: Um, so I am learning uh, first of all, that this is a really difficult topic for men to talk about. Um, I think I'm, I'm seeing that in a couple of different ways. One, I'm just having a very difficult time recruiting people. Mm -hmm. Um, I am not really anywhere near having the numbers I need for male participants. Um, and I think some of that goes back to cultural messages about, um, this type of loss and whether men can even talk about their experience. And I think some of it is men to just not wanting to talk about it, not wanting to even think about it because it's so painful.
1: Yeah. I've had a well, couple of. You're, oh, you're, you're spot on, right? Like, unfortunately it's not, <laughs> it's harder to do your research when they don't participate, mm-hmm. but the fact they're not participating is important for your research. Like to know that, like, yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay yeah, the lack of participation is just as important as people who are participating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I cut you off there. No,
2: no, (laughs) that's okay. That's okay. I was just, I think I was going to say, I've had a couple of men say to me, you know, I would maybe want to participate, but I don't want to go there again. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. It was too hard, too painful. And I'm afraid if I Participate in the research, I'll have to think about all of those experiences again, and it will be really sad. And I don't want to go there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, they're grieving parents. Yep.
2: Mm,
1: that's so unfortunate.
2: I know. So,
1: I know you were looking at um, social support and spiritual support. Uh, both, I mean, for me, in the way i understand it the social support is part of my spiritual support mm-hmm. um which is really that's just how my um body works how my brain works uh, everyone is different so i don't want to mesh that together for everyone so let's start let's start with the social support so what are you finding
2: um so the social support um really it's broken down into three categories so the spouse the partner Um, the family and the community. Um, Just preliminary information, it it appears that the partner is main source of social support. When men feel more supported by their partner, they feel um, their grief is lessened a little bit in some way. Um, Of course, it's different for everyone. And even based on um, other research, Um, when the, the man's relationship with his wife, with his, um, girlfriend, long-term partner, whatever it might be, when there's tension already in the relationship, um, that's amplified Mm -hmm. or, um, kind of compounded when a miscarriage happens. Um, so the quality of the relationship with the partner is really important.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that seems, that seems understandable, especially because any kind of trauma will um, kind of make or break a relationship, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. I shouldn't say make or break because it's not either or, but it is as trauma is trauma. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, it'll
2: just add to maybe any, um, any disconnection that was already there. Um, mm. it, it can kind of compound all of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah it's really hard. So that's with the partner, and then the extended family is also a form of social support.
2: Right. And I don't have a lot of specific information about extended family, just, just some raw data. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty similar. At, and two, based on past research that other people have done, Um, It's going to depend partly on quality of the relationship with extended family and then messages that they get from extended family um, about how supportive they feel. And I think from other people in general, whether it's extended family or community, one message that is often really powerful is um, people asking the male partner about how their wife or their girlfriend is doing um which is a really common question to ask um how is how's your wife doing how's your girlfriend doing um you know miscarriage can be really hard but forgetting that he also went through a loss um so then that follow-up question of how are you doing isn't ever asked right um
1: you know i don't think that my spouse was ever asked about it. Now that you're saying this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I know that my, my mom asked about him and his parents asked about him, but I don't know that anyone asked him to directly. I actually had a good friend of mine that said, how is James doing? And I was like, a, I, I was like a, a taken back because no one asked about him. Right. And I was like about yeah. our baby. He's devastated. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. 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 It wasn't until you said that, that I realized no one asked about him.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really common.
1: Geez. Geez. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, okay. Well, you were just, you know, the thing that's interesting about research is sometimes when you read it, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But you didn't know it until you read it, right? Yeah. Or, or yeah. until you have a podcast
2: on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It kind of puts words to your experience, and you can go, oh, yeah, that that's a, is how it was for me. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Which is especially, I mean, I think it speaks to the volume of it because of how outspoken I have been about our loss and they still didn't say anything. Right. Like, I mean, so these people who are going through it silently, good heavens, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. So that is social support. Is there any more on social support?
2: That's really about all I know from my research right now. Um, I haven't done actual interviews yet with, with men. Um, so I'm sure once I, once I do interviews, I'll have a lot more information. Um, yeah. So that's kind of wraps it up there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk spiritual support because you know, this is my, (laughs) this is my niche. This is my interest. Um, so what are you finding?
2: Um, so it's really interesting. The, um, spiritual support, Scale that I'm using is called um uh spiritual coping. So it kind of breaks it up into negative and positive spiritual or religious coping. Um so really we're looking what I'm looking at is um the ways that men are coping with the loss spiritually. Are they using prayer? Are they um having thoughts that, well, God or um my higher power. Uh, must be punishing me. That would be an example of negative religious coping. Um, and kind of it, what I'm finding is it, it is matching up with what prior research has has already shown that meant that people who um, use more um, I guess, endorse more forms of negative religious coping, that grief is, um, or experience of grief is, is increased or it's intensified or, um, they're more likely to not reach out to other people, um, for support. Right. So it kind of ties into the social support as well.
1: Right. Cause if they think they're being punished, then they don't want anyone to know, oh gosh. Oh, that's like insult injury. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Have, have any, um, men, like spoken to, uh, like I almost call it religious ignorant. I don't want to say ignorance, but basically we see some families who are grieving, who almost use the religion to ignore
2: the realities of what's happening.
1: Have you seen some of that?
2: Yeah. I think I'll find out more specifically about that when I do the interviews, Mm -hmm. but based on, um, other research that has been done is that's a really common Mm, thought or a statement or phrase that people will say is, "Well, God is in control. God, um, God, you know, this must have been His will." Mm. Um, just kind of those pat religious yeah. answers. Those cliches that, that we don't love. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think because they're so cliche, people like someone going through a miscarriage might reach out to their spiritual or religious community. And those would be the responses that they would get. Well, God has a plan. God is in control, trust his plan, but that really denies the person's experience and Mm -hmm. kind of negates or um, doesn't allow them to feel the pain that they might be feeling when they're going through a miscarriage. Right. Right.
1: I mean, as a spiritual support person, it just like irks my nerves to no end to know that spiritual leaders of any religion are saying like, oh yeah, well, God's in control. Okay, <laughs> cool. Did God kill my baby? <laughs> like, cause we need right. to go there. We need to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, that's another question I think on this, um, spiritual coping scale is believing that this is a punishment mm. or that God in some way killed my baby. I right. think that's kind of how it's, phrase which is so hard and so painful
1: yeah yeah especially if this is your like if you rely heavily on spiritual support and then you believe your spiritual support killed your child like how do you rectify that i mean talk about religious trauma right like yeah
2: yeah Yeah. and if that's the consistent message that you're getting from your religious community it doesn't, and it ends up not feeling like a safe place that you can talk to people about what you're feeling and what you're going through. Right. Right. Yeah. I've,
1: have you found, um, I guess you did speak to some positive, <laughs> some positive aspects of, um, I, I frequently hear the negative ones. Um, people aren't used to hearing support from the religious community in this way. And I don't know if it's because of early pregnancy loss. I don't know. I don't know why, but, um, yeah. So I guess the positive is if they have like a healthier relationship, maybe with their deity.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If, if they have more of a healthier relationship, um, if they find that prayer or whatever other religious, um, I guess means of coping. So Mm -hmm. prayer, going to church, maybe, um, reading their scripture, whatever that might be for them. Um, and I think too, if they have someone that they can talk to at, in their religious community, that doesn't kind of provide those cliches. Mm, yeah. um, so if they have a support person yeah. um, in yeah. the religious community, yeah. for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever shared this on podcast, but this is the perfect time, right? We're talking about men and grief. And so, what happened with us is we had to go in for our eight, I was almost nine weeks, I think, eight, nine week scan. We found out there was no heartbeat, and they needed us to come in a week later to confirm there was no heartbeat. And I'm like, okay, cool. Just walk around with a dead baby for a week. Um, and I did, and I go back in, and then I had to wait another five or six days to have a DNC. So, it was 10 weeks that I carried this baby. Um, and it was the day before our DNC and we had our, um, our church group at our friend's house and I'm like, I'm going to tell them, like, I'm going to tell them what's happening. Like no one knew, wasn't on social media or anything. And I'm like, I'm just going to tell them, look, this is what we were going to tell you. We were going to show you a sonogram. We were going to tell you, we were going to need a babysitter for these nights and we're not. And, um, they all like gasped because, and which was a good response actually, rather than throwing cliches at me. And I don't know if it was because it was in a group and they were scared to say cliches. I don't know, but I do know that they prayed for us. And during their prayer, my, my husband started weeping, weeping and, and it wasn't the first time he cried about the baby loss. um, But it was the one of, one of the most significant, um, extreme forms of grief. Yeah. And I, I guess that goes to community and spiritual support though.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you felt supported by your community with, uh, supported by your church group and, you know, the prayer, it sounds like was really supportive for you and your husband as well.
1: Yeah. 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 It really was. It really was. And I mean, there's, there's, there's so many reasons it could have been right. That he felt so comfortable to cry like that. Um, I mean, we had other people in our group that were crying with us, which also feels good when other people can empathize with your grief. Yeah. But, um, yeah. 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 So I thought of that when I read about you're doing this
2: research, like, Oh (laughs) yeah. Yeah. It can, it can happen it sounds like that was a really impactful experience for you and for your husband.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, we both still remember it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we'll ever forget.
2: Yeah. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. I I think that speaks volumes to, you know, how important it is to have both that social and the spiritual support. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sounds like you've kind of had that experience in your, in your church group that night.
1: Yeah. And I will say it's also, we are incredibly blessed. Well, we've since moved, but that group was, I mean, we lived in Durham, North Carolina, right by Duke. So we had like a lot of academics in our group. We had a lot of, um, people that went to Duke divinity school, right? Like there was a lot of people who were maybe more spiritually equipped to walk Mm -hmm. with us. Right. And so, um, maybe people who haven't had that training or haven't read your research <laughs> <laughs> just have, have the opportunity to learn to react like that. Right. Like, yeah. 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 So where are you hoping to get this stuff published?
2: Um, I don't know if I've thought quite that far yet. Um, but I would love to get it published in, um, I think it'd be important for medical people to know about this. So some kind of medical journal, I think would be amazing. Yes. Um, definitely. I'm also a marriage and family therapist. So in oh. marriage and family therapy. Um, awesome. Uh, journals as well.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, if there's an ED specific journal, <laughs> I don't know if there is, but I think emergency oh. physicians and nurses like need this. Mm-hmm. They really, really do. I mean, I guess also though, that's the, that's the initial trauma. And so we're also speaking long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, so if mm-hmm. there's some kind of spiritual support journal, which there is. There and, is. Yeah, yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've read it frequently. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. there is um, the like journal pastoral care. Um, yeah. And that one I, it's, it's called pastoral care, but it en- encompasses many a religion.
2: Uh, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I'll have to look into that. That's really good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, at that point,
1: it's more frequently people reading it who already have kind of an insight, but that doesn't matter because you're still training them to train other people. Um, ah, I'm so glad there's people like you in the world.
2: Aw, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: So is there anything else you'd like to add about your
2: research? Um, I think one big thing that I would add is just that I need more participants. Mm, Um, So, you know, women who are listening to this, get your partner to participate in my research. That would be so helpful. Um, I'm in the process of um, broadening the inclusion criteria. So right now you need to have experienced the miscarriage between the um, somewhere in the past two months to 10 years, but I'm gonna hopefully expand that to so that there's no end cap. So oh. definitely it needs to be you know longer than two months ago. Um, just kind of want to be really sensitive to how painful it can be in those first two months. that doesn't mean it's not painful after that, but just want to be sensitive to that and not reopen anything that, um, or, or, kind of, I guess, compound the trauma that, that mm. could be. Yeah. Cause it's so fresh. Totally. Yeah, totally. So I'm in the process of hopefully opening it up to a broader, um, I guess a broader audience. Mm-hmm. I don't know yet if I can open it up to international, uh, people who are outside of the United States still working on that. Um, but men please i need you uh, i need you to take my re- my study my research or uh, my surveys um women please have your partner take my stud or uh take my surveys
1: yeah for sure so guys we're going to link her um her email and all her stuff in our instagram and on our facebook so please 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 help her with that i hope you can tell how i'm passionate about what she's passionate about and so um, if you're listening, please help her out. Um, it's, it's definitely going to improve. And a lot of you listening, you know, we talk about, um, you, the trauma you experience, you don't want it to happen to someone else. And unfortunately, pregnancy loss is going to happen. Um, we just hope that we can maybe support people in a better way than we were supported. So, um, yeah, yeah, let's do it.
2: Let's. Yeah, and the work that you're doing with this podcast and in the pregnancy loss space is so important because you're kind of bringing it from academia, which, you you know, only reaches a small population, but you're bringing this information to a broader audience, which is so important. Um, There needs to be so much more awareness and openness to talk about pregnancy loss. So thank you for everything that you're doing.
1: Oh, that means a lot. Thank you for saying that. So we always round these things out by asking, is there a generic or cliche phrase that really bugs you? Now I know we've kind of gotten a jump start on those. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The religious community says plenty of them. Um, So tell us which one sticks out to you.
2: Um, I think so definitely the ones that we talked about earlier, um, those stick out to me, but, uh, one that I, I think really bugs me is, oh, well, at least it was on, you were only this far along <sighs> and you can try for another, or at least, you know, you can get pregnant. Um, those are probably two that really bug me.
1: Yeah. Yep. is the, at least for me.
2: Oh yeah. Ugh. Yep. Ugh. Yeah. At almost any phrase that starts with at least is going to be dismissive in some way.
1: Yes. And including if you say it to yourself.
2: Yes. Great point.
1: Cause I, yeah. oh man, a lot of grieving families say that to themselves. Like at least it was this. And I'm like, you are still in a raw state and you deserve to cr- like, you deserve this chance to let your feelings out. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyways. So well, Heather, thank you so much for what you're doing. And we appreciate you being on the podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity so grateful to be here.
0: This has been another episode of the love and loss podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. As always, be sure to rate us
2: on Apple and Spotify.